0: We interrupt this broadcast with some important news.
1: Let's rewind and check out the biggest news stories from this week. It's time time
2: time for Taiwan This Week.
0: Good evening and welcome to Taiwan This Week with me, your host Gavin Phipps. I'm joined in the studio this evening by Brian Hugh. Thanks for having me. And Ross Feingold. Good evening. Tonight we'll be discussing the US House passing the Taiwan Allies International Protection and Enhancement Initiative Act, the KMT's leadership election, which is taking place tomorrow, the government still mulling the future of Taipei's Chiang Kai-shek Memorial Hall, and drone owner registration. But we'll begin with the Central Epidemic Command Centre confirming two new coronavirus cases on Thursday, bringing the total number of such cases here in Taiwan to 44 since the outbreak began, as of the time we're recording this week's show. The new cases come as Health Minister Chen Jong warned on Wednesday of this week that community transmission of the coronavirus is likely unavoidable in the long term. But he also said effective response measures could prevent a large-scale outbreak. And speaking at a legislative hearing this week, Chen said health authorities reached those conclusions as many cases of the virus present no symptoms and the epidemic response is a race against time and the government's goal is to keep the virus spread under control. Cabinet and government agencies were making plans this week, so screamed the China Times, by setting up so-called working groups, in the event that government agencies are forced to close down due to outbreaks of the coronavirus. The Criminal Investigation Bureau, meanwhile, announced that over 100 people are now facing prosecution for spreading fake coronavirus news. And according to the Bureau, cases involving 112 people related to 79 cases of fake news have been forwarded to prosecutors for indictments, while some one other cases are still being investigated. Now, the fake news stories that we're talking about that have been investigated include claims that President Tsai Ing-wen has contracted the coronavirus, that the Taoyuan city government has imposed a lockdown in the city, and law enforcement officials say that the IP addresses of some of these online fake coronavirus news stories come from outside of Taiwan, and much of the syntax that appears in the posts is from China. And one such false claim, which has now been proven to have originated in China, claimed that Beijing has placed Taipei under under military control due to the spread of the coronavirus. Now, in other news, migrant workers associations are stepping up their calls for an amnesty for illegal migrant workers, saying excluding them from the epidemic prevention system is a potentially dangerous oversight that undermines efforts to stop the spread of the disease. And lawmakers this week have been reviewing the cabinet's 60 billion NT special budget bill, which is aimed at mitigating the economic effects of the coronavirus outbreak. So, Ross, we'll begin with the, we'll begin with the migrant workers should they have an amnesty, and should the government sort of maybe be doing more to find missing migrant workers amid all this concern about the spread of the coronavirus
1: Well, the government has had amnesties before. I believe there was one last year that went for about six months in the first half of the year uh, i i don 't think uh, the public would oppose an amnesty uh, and if it would help. Uh, Remedy some of the risk of, of virus spread, not not because migrant workers or migrant workers who are working illegally who've run off, overstayed, uh, ha- have a higher. A uh, percentage of a virus among this population than the general population. That's that's definitely not what I'm saying. Uh, but but if there is this population in Taiwan of of people who are not part of the healthcare system, they're they're underground. Uh, that is a risk. So uh, I, again, I, I don't think the public at at this point in time w- would oppose letting them leave. Uh, you give them a reentry ban for a few years as, as a kind of penalty. Uh, this is certainly more appealing than having a an undocumented population that does create a, a health risk because they're, they're not part of the, the national health insurance system. And it would also cost taxpayer and government resource time and money to detain, uh, prosecute uh, people who, who are in Taiwan illegally. So rather than have them go through that process, put more people in prison, uh, because on a rolling basis, ongoing basis, uh, National Immigration Agency does arrest uh, people who are in the country illegally. So uh, from a bureaucratic or a process perspective, however you look at it, that, that would seem to be a logical thing to do at, at this time. The the problem is uh, getting internal sign-off to do something like that, right? I'm sure if the National Immigration Agency uh, wanted to get signed off from – their superiors at the Ministry of the Interior. Make sure legislators uh, buy in as well. Executive UN, the president, et cetera, et cetera. That would all take a lot of time as well. So this is something they should be working on, but uh, they might not be.
0: And of course, you've made a point there, Ross and Brian. Apparently, the Interior Minister, Xu Guoyong, this week said that his office is focusing efforts on encouraging illegal immigrants to turn themselves in. But he also said that, basically, they couldn't grant an amnesty because it would mean amending laws and you'd need social consensus to do it.
2: Uh, yeah, and so this has actually become an issue of back and forth between some of the different government ministries, such as the Ministry of Interior and the Ministry of Labour, which are both less in favour of this idea of amnesty, and the Ministry of Health and Welfare, which has been more in support of this idea uh <laughs> Uh, there are 50,000 undocumented migrant workers in Taiwan, or something thought to be around that amount. Uh, And therefore, it is thought that that if migrant workers are afraid to actually come forward for medical checkups or or to receive medical care because of fear of deportation, this could lead to the spread of disease. Um, There's, I think, disproportionate focus on migrant workers potentially spreading the disease when I think they're they're no more or less susceptible to it than the rest of us, um, particularly with regards to gatherings of migrant workers in, for example, Taipei Main Station, uh, or in churches, or religious gatherings, and so forth. Um, But then it is true that actually um, this is it is it is concerning if that there's a a large population that's afraid of seeking medical care, even if they are displaying symptoms of the coronavirus. Um, And so uh, there was previous proposal to check the uh, registration and the information of migrant workers when they were coming in with the people they take care of the, their um, the, the, their employers in hospitals, but then this caused controversy, and that's I think what led to this back and forth and it's still unresolved. And I don't know if there is social consensus. And of course, Ross,
0: the Taiwan International Workers Association it says the government should grant them legal status. But what legal status could the government grant them? Would it short-term legal status or long-term legal status, or could it even grant them some kind of legal status in some floaty, floaty Neverland.
1: That's completely unrealistic. Uh, And uh, as far as I recall, um, Taiwan has never given that kind of amnesty to undocumented workers or overstayers, the typical... Type of amnesty is uh, we won't put you in prison uh, but but you have to get on a plane and leave and and you might have to pay a small fine or for example a smaller fine than the fine normally is. I think that's how it worked last year, and you might depending on how long you overstayed, you might or might not also get a stamp in your passport that you can't come back for a while that's typically the way amnesties had work uh, in Taiwan for undocumented blue-collar labor. So uh, the, an amnesty that would allow people to legalize their status, people who are in the country illegally, uh, somehow acquire work authorization. Uh, you want to talk about societal consensus or lack of it, that that's just uh, completely unrealistic. Uh, but but it, all of the, this conversation raises a really important point, which is even if you offer this amnesty, uh, Gavin, you said, I think 50,000 is the estimate. Estimate for, for undocumented workers in, in Taiwan. How many will actually uh, take advantage of that? Because look, m- most of the, the undocumented workers, they've chosen to remain here uh, undocumented illegally because they need the job. They want to make some money. So, uh, how many would actually self report? I, I don't know offhand how many did last year for the amnesty. Obviously, not that many because there's still fifty thousand <laughs> here uh, who didn't take 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 advantage of the opportunity to um, self-report and self-deport, uh, as American politicians sometimes say. Uh, so even if they offer this, my, my guess is um, the the numbers would be small, and there would be a fixed time period, Gavin. So maybe it would be like for the next three months, for the next six months, and let's all hope. Within three months or six months, the virus situation will have abated anyway, which makes it even less likely that uh, people who are undocumented would would take advantage of of such an amnesty program. There, there are more practical solutions here, which is to offer um, health health care to undocumented people without fear of of deportation and, and somehow segregate. Uh, the work of, of hospitals and doctors from immigration agencies and, and let it be known that uh, if, if an undocumented person does present themselves in a hospital, they'll get medical care, and the hospitals will will not uh, inform the, the immigration authorities, so we make them sanctuary hospitals. Again, that might be unpalatable to certain segments of the population, but it, uh, or some politicians, some ministries, it would be a practical solution, and maybe it's one worth considering.
0: Right, and Brian, talking of solutions, the government is, of course, cracking down on fake coronavirus news and there's some solutions to this by handing out indictments.
2: Uh, that's right, and so there's uh, concerns about the flow of information. Who has the, uh, the the privileges actually to distribute information? One of the things that Minister of Health Chen Shijong said, which was somewhat controversial, is that it should actually be the Ministry of Health and Welfare that is the main source of information about the coronavirus, and that the government may in fact take action against uh, other uh, groups distributing information about this. I mean, I think there is fear, particularly of the fact that it's very easy to spread inf- disinformation or misinformation nowadays. You can just have a Facebook page and a website, and and it can look very credible to some people. Some people actually do not have the media literacy skills to determine what is true and what is false. Uh, I think that Chen was probably overstating this. There's basically, the government is not going to actually enforce this to make sure that media outlets are not reporting on the coronavirus, and only the government is the authorized distribution uh, channel for information. But I think that this, there's, there's a fear of social panic, and there's fear that this will be used as a way to stir up fear in society, that this will be leveraged on politically uh, by China or by uh, people that are opposed to the its administration, and that this could lead to uh, consequences, actually, because people actually do tend to believe uh, whatever they see online regarding uh, complicated and developing situations uh, regarding disease outbreaks. And that, that's one of the things that the government's trying to avoid.
0: So, Ross, did you believe that Beijing has placed Taipei under military control due to the spread of the coronavirus?
1: <laughs> no, I do not believe that. And uh, I, I think I'm going to disagree somewhat with with Brian uh, as far as media literacy. I know. Um, a lot of people in the media space do do frequently mention this, and, and it's often mentioned in the context of fake news or the evil things that China does. But uh, the the stuff that's circulating online that one might say is wow, that that's just so so obviously fake news and BS, or uh, it's obviously from China. Uh, where I disagree with Brian is I, I think a lot of people in Taiwan are sophisticated enough to see it for what it is, and and uh, realize that this is just some some goofy story, someone's goofy opinion, and and people are not uh, easily persuaded by this stuff or believe that it's true. Uh, And this goes back to the long-running conversation we've been having on this show uh, about uh, legal changes that were made within the past two two years now, or year and a half, uh, to various laws to increase the penalties for fake news and the number of prosecutions. This was all long before the virus uh, hit. Um, and, and then, the, uh, this go, I said, goes back two years because it goes all the way back to the 2018 local election with accusations that China fake news. That's why the Dom did so well. Um, and then, as well, well fake news, the China's going to interrupt the 2020 election. Well, that didn't really happen, given the overwhelming victory of the DPP. Uh, So my point is that a lot of this stuff, it's just BS, and people see it for what it is. And the bigger problem, which, and I pointed this out before, Gavin, is that we have to be careful that police and prosecutors don't become overzealous. So it's okay to have these laws on the books and... There, there are certain elements to these crimes that often get lost in the conversation. And and the, the cum- communicable disease control law, which uh, has this clause with regard to fake news in the context of uh, ep- epidemiological communicable disease outbreak, does say that an element of the crime is causes harm to others. So the, the, the law is Article 63 basically says if you circulate BS – part of my language and, and there's harm to others uh, then you're, you're subject to a fine of up to 3 million taiwan dollars just talk about increasing the fine uh, but it- well, when we read these stories, it seems like the police went to investigate you know, some 70 year old person uh, in, in some rural part of Taiwan who said something on Facebook or line to t- their 12 friends that was completely silly and crazy it, and clearly no harm. No, no one suffered any harm. So, so you say like, OK, why did the police even bother doing this? And, and I think that applies in, in some of the prosecutions as well, that uh, the, the, the charges were filed and somebody had to plead guilty because they weren't going to waste their time fighting this and then they paid a small fine but but there really was no harm right it's kind of like you know circulating something about celebrities or some other crazy crazy news we're going to talk about drones a little later there's always crazy news about things that drones do uh, so you know this element that there has to be harm to others it, it, it often gets lost in in the conversation. So, uh, yeah, go ahead prosecute. you know, prosecute people for for satisfying the elements of the crime, which would be it, it's it's uh, you know trying to cause panic and and it is harmful. Harmful means like you cause a stampede at, at the pharmacy because of something you wrote. Uh so in some of these cases, the examples that that we've been talking about uh, something about President eye or China is under military rule. Again, I don't think people, most people believe that. I think people do have a minimal level of media literary, literacy, but also nobody suffered any harm either. Sorry, Brian, did you suffer any harm because someone in China wrote that Taiwan is under military rule?
2: Um, no, but it actually it is surprising sometimes what even family members of mine will believe. And I, as a journalist, I am sometimes just like, this is not real. And so sometimes I will have family members believe things such as that uh, impositions or limitations on freedom of movement has been imposed in Taipei and so that certain zones in the city they cannot go to. And these are not actually very relative, elderly relatives. These are people that are still working and, and so forth. And they actually do believe this. They believe that the government has forbidden you to go to Taipei Main Station and things like that. And it actually, it does kind of surprise me, because this does affect their everyday behavior. And so that's one of the things that actually, I think, is, is quite frightening, that it is the case that people do, uh, they, they actually do not know what are the credible source of information. I think that that's one of the dangers. Uh, regarding the, 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 the kind of disinformation coming from China, that's a more interesting question. I think there are state-sponsored efforts and there's actually just nationalistic Chinese Netizens. and i believe that there's a recent study released yesterday which came to the conclusion that it was primarily individuals chinese nationals that are nationalistic and lashing out against taiwan That are spreading this information but just with this kind of broad information coming in i think people sometimes will believe it so it's basically
0: angry people on the internet in china
2: Sometimes, but also sometimes just uh, people, Sometimes, again, as as Ross mentioned, sometimes there's uh, not actually uh, any bad intentions. People are spreading what they think is accurate uh, accurate information. And so there's a danger that this can be used to go after people that are innocent and do not actually mean any harm and maybe have not actually caused that much harm.
0: Right, of course, Ross, the government, the lawmakers rather, were reviewing the cabinet's 60 billion NT special budget bill aimed at mitigating the economic effects of the coronavirus outbreak this week. And economics minister, Shen Rong Jin, touted government plans to issue travel-based stimulus coupons. And he says they could benefit up to 350,000 businesses. But there was a but. They probably won't be issued for the next six months or a year. And the government has yet to decide who will receive the coupons and whether it'll be only Taiwanese nationals or also foreign travellers or even how they'll be used. Of course, we had the travel coupons before. Used at Ustert night markets, the government touted their great magical wealth to make night market people rich so more travel coupons to mitigate the coronavirus effects
1: talk about deja vu gavit i mean we've had travel coupons in the thai administration the ma administration the chen shui bian administration uh, under various names Uh, sometimes you walk by a store in taipei or other parts of taiwan you see a sticker in the window that the store is participating in one of these programs that doesn't even exist anymore, <laughs> but, but they just never took the sticker down from the window. Uh, it's all very confusing for the public. Obviously, it doesn't really inject a, lo- a lot of money into those 350,000 businesses. I don't know how they even came up with that number. They must have like added up every company in the, the supply chain for, for food.
0: Here we go. 140,000 restaurants and diners, 280,000 shopping centres, 10,000 night markets and 1,700 arts and culture sites. So, Brian, they all want to make loads of money off the coupon. So uh-huh. is Ross sort of right?
2: I think it's a, an old idea again. And so it's interesting that the government, in response to anything that causes a decrease in travel to Taiwan, comes up with the same solution over and over again. And I'm not sure this is going to help. Uh, just as previously, with, for example, decline in Chinese tourism or what have you, this has also not been helpful. I think it's actually just a way to avoid incurring the wrath of business owner by making it appear as though the government's doing something, a little bit of something, uh, in order to do that. And there's also this special budget
1: thing is, is part of the deja vu. So it's not just the travel coupon, but when there's a challenge, we have a special budget. We need, we need to buy some aircraft from the, the U.S., some F-60s, special budget, tanks, special budget, uh, infrastructure. We'll have a special budget. Uh, it, it's, it's the, the trick of putting things off budget, right? So you, you have the regular budget, and you have a whole bunch of special budgets. And it basically allows you to say that we don't have a deficit because, because, uh, because the regular uh-huh. budget is balanced. Oh, but we got all these special budgets. (laughs) Because they thought special was better than additional. Because if you call it an additional budget, people are going to hang on a minute. Additional. But, but but jokes, jokes aside, uh, as we love to say in English, elections have consequences. This government was reelected with overwhelming support. So they have the political capital to do this. So if they want to spend money um, this way, you know, why, why only spend, what's the number you said, 60 billion Taiwan dollars? Go go for more. I mean, they have overwhelming public support. I, I mean, from this conversation, we've basically concluded that it's not really that much money, the context of Taiwan's economy or the tourism industry. Might as well spend more. Sixty billion seems relatively small. The coupons are, in fact, two billion NT. There's going to be two billion NT in coupons. The
0: sixty billion is the overall. Well, say, I'm
1: rate. saying both of them. Both of them might be relatively small. I mean, if you compare it to the stimulus or the handout that Hong Kong recently announced. Hong Kong announced its budget a couple of weeks ago. Um, the, I believe the number was ten thousand Hong Kong dollars, so about one thousand two hundred US dollars, about forty thousand Taiwan dollars. Handout to everyone. Almost everyone, like even the wealthy, you know, those billionaires in Hong Kong, might, are going to get their their little ten thousand Hong Kong dollar check. Uh, hopefully, they'll give it to charity if they do. But uh, uh, the, the, there's also a large number of tax breaks and things like that for for businesses. Uh, a whole range of innov- innovative ideas. Of course, the Hong Kong government has no credibility, so nobody thinks the package will work. Uh, but but uh, maybe you know, two billion and uh, sorry, two billion U.S. dollars, sixty billion NT, w- with the two billion travel coupon. It might not be enough, so they might as well be a little bit more bold and and go for more.
0: Right, and talking about being bold and going for more, the US House voted to pass the Taipei Act, or to give it its full name, the Taiwan Allies International Protection and Enhancement Initiative Act. That's a mouthful on Wednesday of this week in the US Capitol. Now, the bill aims to discourage Taiwan's diplomatic allies from cutting ties with the island due to pressure from Beijing, and it could lead to US sanctions against countries that sever these ties, basically. Now, according to the US government, the bill anyway... The Washington needs to support Taiwan in strengthening its relationship with its diplomatic allies and unofficial partnerships with countries in the world. And it also urges the US government to consider reducing the economic, security and diplomatic engagements with countries which take serious or significant actions to undermine Taiwan. So my question to you, Ross, is very simple. So if Singapore says, I don't think we can quite back Taiwan's entry into the World Health Organization... Is Washington, D.C. going to stab its feet and take significant actions to curtail Singapore?
1: Well, as you mentioned, the key word, it's consider. So uh, this law went through, or the bill before, it hasn't become law yet, but the bill went through several versions on the House side and the Senate side. Earlier versions uh, really... It Required the U.S. government to take more strict action in the and would apply to the example you just gave. If you read the text as it passed the House, it, it, the key the key word really is consider. So uh, it, it defers the authority back to the State Department or other U.S. government agencies to consider. Consider some action against countries that do things that aren't very nice to Taiwan, whether it's voting or not voting for support for Taiwan or international organizations or uh, for the countries that do have diplomatic relations, which does not include the United States, as we all know. Uh, So the U.S. is telling other countries, if you uh, discontinue your diplomatic relations, we might punish you or or Again, using the word of the legislation it's it 's only consider, so uh it was walked back considerably from the original text and uh, this is almost more like a resolution you know we, uh, we know that Congress periodically passes these resolutions which which are not laws uh, to say we love Taiwan and we want the u s government to do this this that, or the other thing to help Taiwan. This is in the format of a law, but uh, it it reads more like a resolution other than with the reporting requirements. There's a reporting requirement imposed on on the U.S. uh, executive branch to report uh, certain actions that uh, impact uh, Taiwan or have an impact on Taiwan and and report to Congress. But uh, executive branch agencies already have a whole bunch of reporting requirements with regard to Taiwan anyway. I'm being very long-winded here, Gavin, but ultimately I I, I would just encourage people not to overreact to this. It's just one more uh, example of congressional support for Taiwan. But substantively, that's the key. Uh, I don't think there's a a lot there.
0: But House Representative John Curtis certainly thinks there's a lot there because it's his bill, basically. Anyway, he said he expects the Senate to approve the bill and he's sure it will be signed into law as soon as it arrives on President Donald Trump's desk. So, Brian, do you think there'll be much fanfare about the Taipei Act?
2: That's a good question, particularly regarding the U.S.-China trade war. I mean, I generally do expect it will pass, uh, though I think with Trump there's always unexpected uh, possibilities that may occur. Um, And yeah, I agree with Ross. This is primarily symbolic. The U.S. is threatening to punish other countries for downgrading diplomatic relations with Taiwan while not upgrading its own relations with Taiwan. And at the same time, I don't actually think this will be used to apply to every country. It depends on the size of the country, uh, the size of the economy, and so forth. Even if they downgrade relations with Taiwan, the U.S. will be strategic regarding which countries it pressures. And so I think particularly this might be used against smaller countries, small economies, but which are geostrategically important in terms of their location in the Asia-Pacific, including such as Taiwan's few di- remaining diplomatic allies, which actually occupy uh, positions which could be strategic if, uh, for example, they switch recognition from the ROC to the PRC. This could actually provide a leverage point for China in expanding its influence. And so I think this is probably what we'll be used for. But again, consider, and this is it really just leaves things open. It is, again, primarily symbolic.
0: Right, and we have to take a short break now but we will return after these rather important commercials. Welcome back to Taiwan this week, and the KMT will be electing a new leader tomorrow, March the 7th. Now, the ballot is a two-way race between former Taipei Mayor long bing and lawmaker Johnny Jung. The KMT says some 300,000 members are eligible to cast ballots in the election, and the party also says there are likely to be fewer voters turning out tomorrow to vote than did in 2017's leadership ballot, where turnout stood at 276,000. Now, there were five candidates then, and of course, Udini won, with 52.24% of the vote. So, what would likely be the lead story of this week has now been relegated to this story here in the first part of the second half of the show due to the coronavirus. So, Brian, low turnout in the election. Do you think partly due to the, it's a two way race, partly due to coronavirus, or partly due to lack of interest generally?
2: I think all those things, perhaps. Uh, there was calls to delay the election from particularly younger members of the KMT on the justification that it should be declared delay because of the coronavirus. However, I think this was actually uh, surged as an idea primarily in the hopes that this will allow for more discussion within the party about how to reform and so forth. Uh, the elections come down between, I think, primarily the two candidates in terms of their ages, that Johnny Chang is 20 years younger at age 48 than um, Hao being who is 67. And so it's become a kind of uh, toss up between the younger and the older candidates. Actually, I'm not so sure they differ substantially in terms of their policies because they call for similar things. Uh, Rethinking Cross-Straight's policy, uh, trying to win over young people again, using digital means and social media means for the KMT to rebuild its reputation among the public. But this has become a a toss-up between the younger members and, I think, the older members. The younger members do seem to back Johnny Chang.
0: And, of course, a former chairwoman, Hong shou came out this week and said, well, maybe we shouldn't be doing this. Maybe we don't want to change our Cross-Straight policy, Ross.
1: It's kind of irrelevant. Uh, one, it's it's irrelevant what she says simply because her her influence is uh, not not very large, and I'm being diplomatic, as evidenced uh, by uh, you know, not being chairwoman anymore and losing the legislative UN election. Uh, but it's also irrelevant simply because at this time uh, the public they're not really looking for the Gulmin Dong to have a cross trade policy. Uh, there, there's no upcoming election. The Gulmin has almost no power in the legislative UN. Um, the majority uh, DPP could basically pass whatever legislation it wants or hold whatever hearings it wants. There, there's very little a, a ability to influence even the agenda of meetings. To, basically, they get some question time uh, for government officials when government officials do come to be questioned. Uh, so no one's really looking at for the Goming Dog to have a cross trade policy now. So, whether or not they change it today or next week or a few months from now uh it's not urgent no 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 one really cares frankly uh but eventually they'll need one if, if they ever want to get elected again um whether it's in a, the upcoming local election at the end of twenty twenty two or the next national election at the beginning of twenty twenty four uh holding off the election uh it's too late, so talking about it now uh is kind of silly uh they, in my opinion, they should have waited longer. Um, Having this vote only seven weeks after uh, the electoral disaster doesn't really give much time for the candidates to present their case or for the uh, eligible party members to really understand what the two candidates are about. Or frankly, it didn't give much time for other people to consider whether or not they wanted to run as well. And also, uh, Lunar New Year was in the middle, not not only the virus outbreak. Uh, So there really hasn't been a lot of discussion. Um, They they probably... could have gone in in a better direction, uh but whether or not their visions differ uh you know, Mr. Jiang or legislator jiang there there's been uh you know poison poison pen letters circulating this week saying that he's really in favor of taiwan independence uh probably because uh, his positions might be a little more moderate than how 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 long being and you know his father being Former Premier and General Hao Bo Tsun, who has a reputation as being quite conservative and uh, you know, in, in, in favor, uh, some might say strongly in favor, of the ultimate unification of Taiwan and China. Maybe his son How Long Bing is, is a bit more moderate, and, and then uh, Legislator Jiang, even more moderate. But yeah, there, there's a poison pill letter that the media was reporting saying that uh, Legislator Jiang is really just a closeted supporter of Taiwan independence. Uh, but uh, at least Gavin, um, how long means dad, at 100 years old, isn't running in the chairman election. So it's, it's only one, one person in his late 60s and one person in his late 40s.
0: And so Brian Ross made a point there, the fact that it was all a bit, maybe we'll call it slap shot and put together rather quickly as a reaction to the election. And there wasn't really much time to do anything.
2: It was quite surprising. Uh, There were actually protests that broke out, for example, in front of KMT party headquarters and running internal consention within the younger members of the KMT uh, after the election, immediately after, and so it was fallout. And then the election happened, and what surprised me I think the most was that there's only two candidates actually, and these were the two candidates. There's a lot of, for example speculation, would uh, Han Goryu actually try to run for chair? And I remember I went to actually watch and observe the uh, protests outside the KMT party headquarters by youth members of the KMT, and there's some people screaming about calling for Han to run and, and that kind of thing. Um, so I'm kind of surprised it ended up being this way. And this, uh, It doesn't surprise me there was a younger candidate versus an older candidate, but it just surprised me that more people did not try to throw their hats into the ring. Um, I think we'll see what happens. I think another aspect of this is it's a uh, a, a referendum on the internal structure of the KMT because of the fact that Ha Long being as a son of Hao Sun, he, he enjoys the support of the Huang Seeing the military branch of the KMT, which occupies a disproportional uh, has a disproportionate position to its actual size within the KMT and is accorded privileges within the party and there's internal contention with the, within the party about should we preserve the structure or not? And so the younger members are, are more against this um, preserving the structure and so I think that's the other thing that will happen but this having the support of uh, people that are part of the military is something that really benefits how long being and so that's also one of the things he has behind him.
0: Moving on now, Minister Without Portfolio, Lin Wan-E, this week said that the government currently has no plans to dismantle the Chiang Kai-shek Memorial Hall in Taipei and is still considering all options. Now Lin is heading the office tasked with overseeing issues related to the transformation of the hall and his comments came amid renewed calls from families of victims of the 228 incident to dismantle the structure and of course those calls came as last Friday was the 228 Memorial Holiday here in Taiwan. Now according to Lin, the Ministry of Culture is Still compiling relevant files related to its possible transformation and interdepartmental meetings will be convened to discuss the matter after the ministry submits its final recommendations. So, Brian, I believe we were sitting here some years ago having the same conversation <laughs> about
2: what they could do to the Chiang kai Shik Memorial Hall. That's right. And so this is a conversation which comes up every year, basically around two two eight. Uh, not only regarding the Kai-shek Memorial, but other symbols of the authoritarian period, including the Tsuhu Mausoleum where the two Changs are laid to rest. Uh, but the Kai-shek Memorial is sitting in the center of Taipei. It's a major tourist attraction, and so it is the most prominent symbol of, I think, the authoritarian parent that's still around. And so it's not surprising that uh, families of 228 victims and other victims of the White Terror uh, would actually particularly focus efforts on on this. Um, Their calls in the past to turn it into a museum, to turn it into the new site of a legislature, to demolish it, and so forth. But we never have actually arrived at any consensus. Uh, There have even been exhibitions about uh, envisioning futures of what to do with memorial within the memorial, and discussion has has gone on really long. Um, At the same time, I think the KMT particularly is attacking the time administration for attempting to desinicize Taiwan, for attempting to remove symbols of the ROC, uh, for trying to erase the ROC. And this is there's another demographic then society that will be extremely outraged. If the Chiang Kai-shek memorial is changed or removed or even if the statue is taken away. And so that's, that's that's a question that this will come up and this discussion will occur and both camps will present their views. And one expects one side to be in favor of preserving and one to be against it, to, hoping to remove it. But this debate will just happen. You know, I think it will continue to happen. Oh, my gosh.
1: Do we have to listen to this for, for even longer? I mean, we heard this for, for so long during the Chen Shui-bian administration. And,
0: and it, Liberty Plaza, of course. When they changed the name on the big gateway,
1: but big but they answer. didn't. But they didn't have the 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 fortitude, for lack of a, a better word that I could say on the air, um, to go all the way. And in the first four years of the Thai administration, they also didn't have that fortitude. They talked about it. They even have a minister without portfolio looking at it. But uh, uh, now they have another shads. We we said in, in the first segment of the show that that elections have consequences. They have political capital. Stop the debate. Just make a decision. My gosh, now Brian mentioned that there might be a segment of the population who who would oppose uh, actions such as uh, um, you know, taking it apart, uh, moving it, etc. Uh, so what? Uh, again, you you have political capital. Uh, We know where the heart of the the government is on this issue. So just go for it. Stop. Hey, you you mentioned the tourists. tourists. Okay, so tourists from China come to see this. Well, they're not coming right now. And that was before the virus. Whether they're ever going to come back again in large numbers is a big question mark. It's not important. For for the tourist markets that you're trying to capture in the absence of, of Chinese t- tourists, so mm-hmm. Japanese tourists, Korean tourists, tourists from Philippines, Vietnam, this really is not important to them at all, especially since a lot of these tourists are younger and they they come to – Taipei for, for the night markets and, and, and uh, maybe the nightlife, uh, and they come to Taiwan to see other stuff, not just Taipei City. They're not coming to see the Chiang Kai-shek Memorial Hall. They might not even be coming to see the, the National Palace Museum. And we could get to that, Gavin, because I think they should just, um, you heard it here first, Gavin and Brian, I'm saying they should just <laughs> offer to sell it back. Right? They'll call up Beijing and say, you know, you guys want to buy this stuff? We'll, 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 we'll have a committee. We'll price it out. And we'll sell it all to you if you, want to, if you want to send us the cash. Then they can use that cash to make up for the absence of the Chinese tourists. Uh, so, uh, but but uh, just make a decision, my gosh. I mean, how, how much longer are they going to go on? I mean, if they want to blow it up, just blow it up. I mean, they got the political capital to do something.
0: And you heard it here first, Ross Feingold the revolutionary. (laughs) Anyway before we go this week, the Civil Aeronautics Administration announced that owners of drones are now able to register their UAVs for free until October. Now the announcement comes as the government is seeking to make the registration of all drones and the need for owners to have a licence compulsory for aviation safety purposes. Now under an amendment to the Civil Aviation Act which was passed in 2019, drone owners will need to register and pass an examination conducted by the Civil Aviation office to obtain the operator license so authorities can identify the owners in the event of an accident. Now the new law will officially take effect on March the 31st. And of course Brian it all comes after 40 drones fell out of the sky shortly after taking off at the Taiwan Lantern Festival in Taichung.
2: That's right and this has been discussed a lot in in recent years because there are concerns that drones can be used for spying, that they will be in no-fly zones, that uh, this will violate privacy or that they will just simply fall out of the sky. And actually I think this is a valid concern. I mean I I have experience with drones. And so forth, and they do fall out of the sky sometimes. And that is something that happens. And I think that's sometimes joint ownership because uh, this is a new technology. There's not a lot of standards for regulating how, uh, if people actually know how to fly these things or not. Uh, and some are quite heavy. Uh, they, they actually will cause physical harm to people uh, if they fall out of the sky. And also, media organizations even uh, sometimes will not use drones responsibly. They're actually, I, I was at a friend's wedding, he is a well known figure, and the, the, the Taiwanese media was there, and they, they were planning on flying six to seven drones over his wedding, large full-scale drones that would drown out the entire wedding and, and things like that, and just then, what then? And th- there are not uh, clear regulations on how to govern this, I think. And so then there's that's, that's why the result is back and forth about drones in the past few years. 40 drones falling out of the sky, it sounds like something out of the Bible.
1: It's, it's very scary. I would have said something about a Hollywood movie himself, and in mine, you know. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, I, I hope none of those drone owners circulate any fake news about the the new regulation because then they'll be you know, facing prosecution for fake drone news uh, and failure to register their their uh, drone and, and have a test. Uh, it's just m- more bureaucracy. Uh, uh, people will probably complain about the nature of the content of the exam, and, and uh, there'll probably be a lot of people who just ignore getting a license and then we'll have police chasing down uh, uh, drone operators and prosecutors spending time prosecuting uh, uh, you know droning without a license or I don't know can you be droning while intoxicated Brian as well is that is that you can be a crime you can try you try you sound like you speak from <laughs> you speak from experience uh, but but as far as the spy goes you know that that's kind of funny, because if you actually were a spy uh, from China or elsewhere, you you were going to do your spying by a drone, you'd probably want to register your drone uh, just because you don't want to draw undue attention to yourself. That's kind of the nature of spying. So it, it's actually uh, you know, one way for, for people to legally obtain information is simply by uh, whether it's spies or commercial organizations or the media example. Uh, you know, this, this might cause more drones to be out there because people are going to register and then say, see, now I can do whatever I want. I registered my drone.
0: Anyway, do you, will you be getting a licence, Brian? Of uh, I've kind of given up, you, yeah,
2: up droning. I think that. up. Yeah, I've given up droning. I think so, yeah. I think
0: oh, so. Right. <laughs> anyway, with Brian's quit droning. So, anyway, that's where we'll leave it here this week on Taiwan This Week. And I've been joined in the studio today by Brian Hugh. Good night. And Ross Feingold. Have a good weekend. Thanks for tuning in to this week's edition of Taiwan This Week here on ICRT with me, Gavin Phipps. And don't forget to check out Taiwan This Week podcast on iTunes and Android podcast apps, where you can get access to all our previous shows.